heaven who will be there. It's interesting, from the very first verse in the Bible, we see the subject of heaven introduced. For Genesis 1-1 tells us, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The word heaven, or its variant, is found over 700 times in our Bible. The subject of heaven evokes a great deal of uh, responses, various responses from individuals. Every one of the world's religions include some teaching on the subject of heaven or the afterlife. For example, Islam teaches the afterlife is a sensual paradise. Hinduism believes everyone is absorbed into the essence of everything. Buddhism, by reaching nirvana, we are released from the uncontrolled rebirths or reincarnations. Mormonism teaches there's a telestial, a terrestrial, and a celestial kingdom. Judaism teaches heaven is the home of God, as well as Christianity. Literally millions of people agree with the statement made by Maddie Stepnack a number of years ago, wherein she said, there can be many different views of what heaven is like. Because heaven is whatever makes each person eternally and fully happy. I don't believe that's a correct statement at all. The scripture is quite clear. Heaven is a literal place with many descriptions about that land. We've looked at some of those in the past, but I'd like this morning to consider the subject, heaven, who will be there? It's interesting, when you consider the Judaistic and the Christian view of heaven, they're very similar, but differ on who will be present. To address this issue, we're going to look at the Word of God and consider what the Bible has to say. After all, we as Christians believe the Bible is our sole and final authority on all matters of faith and practice. I recognize Other religious groups and organizations will use something other than the Bible for their final authority. Understand, they have the right to do that. But we as Christians believe this is the only true and correct message we have from the Lord today about God, heaven, mankind, and all of the other subjects discussed in the Word of God. Before we get going, did you know the Bible refers to three heavens? The first heaven is the atmospheric heavens where the birds fly. We see this Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 25, that states, I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. There is a second heaven, referred to as the starry or planetary heavens. Psalm 19, verse 1 states, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The first heaven is the air we breathe above us. The second heaven is the stars of the sky and all of the the portions of the universe. And the third heaven, this would be the celestial heaven, the home of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 2 states, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. 
how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So that third heaven, we believe, is the place where God literally dwells. So you might hear people refer to the first, second, or third heaven when referring to something in Scripture. That's what that is talking about. So where is heaven? Well, no New Testament passage gives complete instructions regarding the location or the geography of heaven. But we do know, based on some verses of Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, that it is above the stars and it is to the north. For example, Isaiah chapter 14, in this passage where Satan rebelled against the Lord, and we have the five I wills of Satan declared in verse 13, he said, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. We do note then that heaven is beyond the stars. It's beyond the furthest star known to man, it's beyond the furthest star that exists, whether it's known by us or not. It's interesting when you consider that's a long, long way away. April 3rd of last year, An article was written by Sarah Gibbons stating a bright blue giant nicknamed Icarus observed through the Hubble telescope is now the farthest star humans have ever seen. The supergiant star officially named, and this is amazing, MACS J1149 plus 2223, lensed star 1. I guess they wanted a name that would be easy to remember. But anyway, it's 9 billion light years away, or more than halfway across the observable universe. That star is much bigger than our own star, and hundreds of times brighter than our sun. Icarus is at least 100 times farther than the next most distant star, which is at 55 million light years away. To kind of put that in perspective as far as the distance, the star Deneb is the farthest star away from our planet that we can see easily with the naked eye. It's thought to be around 3,000 light years away. Deneb is one of the brightest in the northern sky and is part of the constellation Cygnus, which is known as the Swan. So when you consider the star furthest away that we can see with just our own eyesight, 3,000 light years away, but now scientists have discovered a a star some 9 billion light years away. That's just far beyond our imagination to comprehend what a distance that is. And you say, well, now wait a minute, that's getting a little bit out of of the, the, the bounds of reason. Well, I don't know. I don't think God would have any problem making a star that far away. But no matter how far away the furthest star is, heaven is beyond the stars. Distances like that are truly unimaginable. But the scripture tells us God's home is beyond the stars and to the north. And no matter what means man might develop in the coming years, such as gravitational lensing, which is what they use to view this particular star, I don't believe they will ever be able to have a telescope strong enough to gaze into the splendors of glory. You see, heaven is a spiritual realm. The universe is a physical realm. 
Heaven is the land of God's dwelling. We're going to consider this morning for a few minutes who will be there. First off, we note, as I just mentioned, this is the home of God. God dwells there. Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 15 records, Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven. There are literally dozens and dozens of verses of Scripture, Old and New Testament, that emphasize the fact heaven is God's home. Psalm 102 verse 19 tells us that heaven is his sanctuary. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 39 calls heaven his dwelling place. Zechariah 2.13 declares it is his holy habitation. When you consider the words of Job, chapter 22, verse 14, which records, He walketh, God walketh in the circuit of heaven. And Psalm 2, 4, He sitteth in the heavens. Yes, heaven, the home of God, is this place that Scripture refers to as the dwelling place of not only He, but all who trust and follow Him. I don't believe heaven is so far away that God can't hear us. When we pray, and you talk about a great distance, but we know God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present. For it is the Lord Jesus Christ who in his ministry declared, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. However far away heaven is, God still hears the cry of each and every one of his saints. This is a truth set forth in the Old Testament and carries forth all the way through to the New. For in 2 Chronicles 7.14, God declared, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Yes, even though God is so very far away, as far as physically speaking, he is right here, willing to listen to anyone who will call upon him. This is a concept. God's being everywhere present. It's just hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to imagine, but oh, what a joy to know. He is everywhere. Even though he dwells in heaven, he's as near as a prayer. But not only will God the Father be in heaven, but we note God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be in heaven. As Christians, we believe in something called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God manifest in three persons, if you will. None is more powerful or has more authority than the other. They each have different areas of responsibility. Each played a part in creation, for the scripture tells us that God created the heaven and the earth. That word God, Elohim, is plural, but a singular verb, created. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created the world. God created man in his own image. God works in the hearts of his children. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each involved in our lives and our affairs. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Notice here what the scripture says about the Lord Jesus Christ being in heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, 
but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days thence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now understand before we read any further, this is the resurrected Lord. Jesus Christ has already died, been buried, and resurrected from the dead. He has thus completed his 40-day earthly ministry following his resurrection. He's meeting with his disciples. As they're discussing this, they've gone out to the Mount of Olives outside of the city of Jerusalem. And that's where this discussion is taking place. And they're asking him questions. And verse 7, again, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But... Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That is what we refer to as the fifth portion or part of the Great Commission given by our Lord, and is recorded in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and here in Acts as well. And then notice what takes place immediately following his stating that uh, that commission. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Yes, to heaven he went, and there he awaits with his saints. We see that Mark chapter 16, verse 19, Acts 7, 55. Verse, uh, Acts chapter 7 verse 59, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1, over and over and over again the scripture tells us Jesus Christ is in heaven and sits at the right hand of God. Acts chapter 7 verse 55, but he, this is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly up into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. yes. We have an high priest today who is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. What a joy to know Jesus Christ, along with God the Father, is there in heaven. And we know he makes intercession for us as his saints. D.L. Moody used to illustrate this thought of Christ being in heaven this way. He told of a day when there was a mother who was very ill and the neighbors, wanting to be a help to the family, took her young daughter from her and had them move in with her while the mother could spend time recuperating from her illness. Well, other than getting better, she got worse and she passed away. The family knew the young girl would have a hard time understanding, so they waited until after the funeral took place to take her home. And Dio Moody said when she got home, she went into the parlor looking for her mother and said, Mom, are you there? She wasn't there. She went into the living area, the kitchen, making her way from one end of the house to the other, going from room to room, looking for her mother. 
She came out and to the family that was caring for her and said, where's mama? And she, they said, sweetheart, we're sorry, but your mama has gone to be with the Lord and she's not here anymore. And the little girl, surprising them, said, okay, I'll go back home with you. You see, the home, though it was her place of her upbringing, had no value to her without her mother being there. Her mother was gone. It was no longer home to her. Well, Moody went on to say, one thing that makes heaven so precious to those of us who know Christ is he will be there when we get there. What a joy to know Jesus Christ dwells in heaven today and we will one day be in his presence forever. But not only do we see God, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in heaven, we note also angels dwell in heaven. There's a lot of talk today about angels and the angelic host and whether or not they're real or what if they are real, what do they do, what is their task. Luke 119 tells us the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And in Matthew 18, verse 10, Jesus stated, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Jesus declared there were angels in heaven. The Word of God points that out. The angels have different purposes. Some are are intended to glorify God. Some serve as messengers. Some serve as ministering saints to help God's people in the way. But there are over 40 references to angels being in heaven in the book of Revelation alone. The question is, do angels actually exist? The answer is a resounding yes. Revelation 10.1, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And again and again and again, God declares the existence of angels. And we see in Scripture they are there glorifying God and serving Him. Isaiah chapter 6 tells us about the angels in heaven declaring, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Yes, angels do exist today. And we know they exist in heaven. I didn't really want to spend a lot of time on that, but did want to mention that as we move on to the next thought. Not only do we see God in heaven, angels in heaven, but in answering the question, who will be there? We know the redeemed of the Lord will be in heaven. Notice, if you will, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 states, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the Lord, before the throne, and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Yes, God the Father will be there, the Lord Jesus Christ will be there, angels will be there, but all the redeemed of God, those from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, those who have heard the message Jesus saves and gladly received him as their Savior, they'll be present in heaven. And what a thrill to know all who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior have a home in heaven. 
Heaven is not reserved just for a certain select few that God chooses from each class, each caste, each social order, each area of the world. No, heaven is available to everyone for God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And all who do, Jesus receives. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a thrill to know that we have the promise that Jesus Christ is in heaven and all who trust in him will be there as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Yes, we enjoy hanging around in this life. We enjoy those things that we benefit from and experience in this life. But as good as this life may be, it's nothing but a drop in the bucket compared to what it's going to be like in the presence of our Lord. For eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Oh, what a joy to know. Heaven will be beyond our description. It will be beyond our imagination. What a thrill to know we'll be with Jesus. Philippians 1.23 Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. He said, I'm in a tight spot here. He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ which is much better. He said, I know I need to be here to serve the Lord and do his bidding, but oh, how I want to go and be with him. Our time's coming. You might feel the same way. The scripture tells us there's a crown for all those who love his appearing, that crown of righteousness. Until he calls us home, we have a task, a duty, a responsibility to fulfill. God expects each of us to walk with him and serve him while we have breath and strength. There's coming a day when we who are saved, the redeemed, the saved of God, the bride of Christ will be with our Lord. This inscription engraving was found on a tombstone outside of London, England. It says, beneath these clouds and beneath these trees lies the body of Solomon Pease. This is not Pease, it's only his pod. Pease has shelled out and gone home with God. That's the promise we have. One day we'll shed this tabernacle of clay, this mortal body, and we'll put on immortal. This body of corruption will one day fall away, and we will put on that which is incorruptible, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. While you're turning through the years, I've conducted or participated in over 60 funerals. Like you, I've had to say farewell to many a loved one in this life. But aren't you glad we have the promise that one day we will be reunited with those who have gone on to glory before us? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul, while visiting the city of Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, won a number of people to the Lord, and as a result, a church was established. We know by reading 2 Thessalonians that Paul, in just a matter of a few short weeks, introduced every major doctrine in the Word of God to these people. He didn't get to go into it in depth. He didn't get to spend a lot of time on it because he was only there for three weeks. However... 
There were some questions that came up as a result of their not having a clear understanding of some of his teachings. One of the things he told them was that when we get saved, we trust Christ, we're going to live forever. God gives eternal life to all those who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, they were troubled by it because they saw their loved ones dying through persecution and through illness and through different struggles. And as a result, they said, we don't get it, Paul. We don't understand. His response was this. Verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, shall not hinder them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall, be for, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul said, yes, your loved ones are dying physically. But in speaking of eternal life, I'm talking about life in heaven with the Lord. Not an everlasting physical life, but an eternal spiritual life. And he says there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to come to the clouds. We refer to it as the rapture. No, the word rapture does not appear in the Bible. The rapture means literally the snatching away or the catching away or being caught up. Jesus is going to come to the clouds and he's going to call forth his church. And as a result, we will be caught up. We'll be snatched away from this world to meet him in the air and go to be in heaven with him. What a joy to know those who have gone on before us we will be reunited with. What a thrill to know the redeemed of God will be in heaven. One of the hymns in our songbook, Precious Memories, Unseen Angels, Sent from Somewhere to My Soul. How they linger ever near me, and the sacred past unfolds. Precious memories, how they linger, how they ever flood my soul. In the stillness of the midnight, precious sacred scenes unfold. Precious Father, loving Mother, fly across the lonely years. And old home scenes of my childhood in fond memory appear. For many of us, we have nothing more than a remembrance of loved ones we were near. But for those who are saved, what a joy to know. We will see them again in glory. No more a memory, but literally side by side with them in glory. Yes, God will be in heaven. Angels will be in heaven. The redeemed of the Lord will be in heaven. And I close with this last thought. It comes in the form of a question. Will you be in heaven? Many say you can't know. You can't be sure you have a home in heaven. Did you know this is one of the greatest lies ever told by Satan? 
If we can't be certain of salvation, then why would we even present the message? 1 John 5.13 states, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. 2 Timothy 1.12 For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That day is when the Lord calls us to be with Him. That day is when we step from the realms of the temporary into the holes of the eternal. That day is when we stand before the Lord. And He will keep us unto Himself until then. I know, I know, I know I am saved is the message of Scripture. Not I hope so, I think so, I wish so, I might be. I know. Do you know you will be in heaven. Do you know your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? It's a wonderful thought to consider the fact that our name is literally written in a book in heaven. God has a record. He says, they're coming. They'll be here. It's written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 13, 8, and, they, all the, and all they that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Good news is, everybody who's saved, our names are written in heaven. The tragedy is, everybody who's lost, conversely, their names are not written in the book of life. In Revelation 20, would you please turn there? We'll close in just a minute, but Revelation 20. What's going to happen to all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life? Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to those works. Those other books that are written are the record of each individual's activities during their lifetime. There is a record in heaven of what people do. And it is that book that will be opened. There will be a book for every individual who knows not Christ. That book's going to be opened. They're going to be judged out of that book. Then one will turn to the Lamb's book of life and see their name is not written therein. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works. You see, God holds every individual accountable for their own works. We're not judged for the sin of others. We're judged on our own merits. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever, notice, was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. What a horrific event that will be. The good news is for all of us who are saved, that book with the record of our evil deeds, it's blank. 
Thank God. We are a new creature in Christ. God wiped away all that sin. He took care of our sin on the cross of Calvary. But for all those who rejected Jesus Christ in their life, all those who refused to trust in Him as their Savior and Lord, they will be judged based on their works. And as a result, not, their name not being found written in the book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. How tragic. How sad that will be. For the scripture declares, in fact, Jesus said this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? Trust Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Rejecting Christ prevents someone from going to heaven. Please get this. No one goes to hell because they're a bad person. No one goes to hell because they were born in the wrong nation or of the wrong language or of the wrong lineage. People go to hell, end up in a Christless eternity because they reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. How do we know that? John 3, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus Christ is that stopgap. He is that one who stands between the sinner and a Christless eternity. But for someone to simply brush Christ aside reject his free offer of salvation and wondrous grace, and they march headlong into the lake of fire. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. God's going to be in heaven. Angels will be in heaven. The redeemed of the Lord will be in heaven. But will you? They close with this illustration. This illustration is taken from an article that was reported in the New Zealand Herald, December 1st, 1990. When William Montague Dyke was 10 years old, he was blinded in an accident. Despite his blindness, he graduated from a university in England with high honors. While in school, he fell in love with the daughter of a high-ranking British naval officer. And they became engaged. Not long before the wedding, William had been approached by a surgeon who said he might be able to help him with his eyesight. And as a result, had surgery with the hope his sight would be restored. If failed, he would be hopelessly blind for the rest of his life. But if successful, he would regain that which he lost as a 10-year-old. William insisted, following the surgery, to keep the bandages on until his wedding day. That day, October 12th, arrived. Many guests, including royalty, cabinet members, and distinguished men and women of society, assembled together to witness the vows of this man and his fiancée. There standing before the altar was William, his father, and the surgeon, the ophthalmologist, who performed that surgery. The organ played, 
his bride-to-be walked down the aisle. And at that moment, the surgeon took scissors out of his pocket and cut away the bandages. There was silence for a moment. Everybody wondered what's happened. Did it work? Was it successful? For the first time since he was 10, he could see. It's reported that once the bandage was removed and he saw the woman standing before him, he said, you're more beautiful than I ever imagined. For the first one he saw was his bride-to-be. Though we see through a glass darkly today, one day the bandages over our eyes will be removed. We'll stand in the presence of the Lord. And just as we sing the great hymn, face to face I shall behold him. What a joy to know one day we will be with the Lord. Please don't let that opportunity slip by.